Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Perhaps you heard the tragic news of a fine young man, American man, Asian American man, John Allen Chow, who was martyred on the North Sentinel Island of India by the Sentinelese tribe with bows and arrows. He committed the egregious trespass of supposedly trespassing on the island, when in point of fact, one man's trespasser is another's visitor, he jeopardized his life to go to the people of this island, this remote island, this remote tribe of people that is referred to by an Indian official as being a treasure, he jeopardized his life to attempt to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them because of his concern for their eternal souls. And he was murdered. He was martyred. And he joins a long, long list of true martyrs down through the ages. Not the false martyrs, not the sham martyrs of Islam who commit monstrous, heinous, murderous, terrorist attacks. And if they should die in the commission of these acts, they claim to be martyrs, and their backers claim they are martyrs. Well, instead of enjoying eternal blessings and bliss and riches, hereafter they will receive the reward of their deeds. But John Allen Chow, a modern-day martyr, and there are many, something to the tune of two million in Sudan alone. No, not the Darfur region. These were Christians who were slaughtered for their faith. Perhaps you heard about the to-do regarding communist China. And... The Trump administration is considering imposing sanctions which would target companies and officials who have connection with communist China's efforts to control, command and control and muzzle the minority Muslim or Islamic population in China. 
And these sanctions would include, apparently, the Xinjiang Party Secretary, Shen Quanguo. He's a member of the Communist Politburo. Very powerful man. Well, what I find interesting about this, <laughs> but before I get there, let me just uh, state that Communist China is stating that it will retaliate in kind for any sanctions that the United States of America lays upon its top official. What I find interesting in particular about this situation is that the United Nations, foreign governments to the yin-yang, political activists, all manner of academicians are up in arms about the terrible, terrible, egregious wrongs done by the communist Chinese regime to the Muslim minority, specifically the Muslim Uyghur minority and other Muslims in the Xinjiang province. And it's not to say that dear old communist China hasn't been oppressing these people. But at the same time, there have been attempted Islamist terrorist attacks. And in addition to that, I find it fascinating that all of the world's secular conscience is in such a dither about this where they completely, utterly, totally ignore the monstrous, pervasive, continual, evil persecution of the vast numbers of Christians in communist China. When I say vast numbers, I'm not talking about a majority of the population, but I am talking about the largest, possibly the largest number of Christians in any nation in the world. That's right, possibly more than in the United States of America. And if, if, that is a big if, if they are lesser in numbers than the professing Christian population in the United States of America, they are typically more devoted, more genuine Christians than a very great many. Christians or so-called Christians or professing Christians in the United States of America. But these great freedom champions, they have no concerns about the Christians in communist China and North Korea and Vietnam and Laos and Burma, Myanmar, and the list goes on. No, no, no. But the Muslims, when they're being oppressed, 
Oh, they rush in. Oh, this this is cause for their intervention, as was exactly the same situation in Sudan. Two million Christians could be slaughtered, could be tortured, could have their limbs amputated, could be crucified. The women raped and slaughtered, the little children enslaved, the little girls, little grade school girls, seven, eight, nine years of age, enslaved into forced so-called marriages, and the boys made slaves for labor, and no outcry. That's right, no outcry from these great freedom champions in the world, including the George W. Bush administration. No. But let Muslims be endangered in Sudan, in Darfur, and all of a sudden, the freedom champions, they're in the mix. George Clooney and the rest. Oh, boy, now they can get excited. Now... They can get involved. Oh, my gosh, there are 50,000 Muslims who are being oppressed. Anyway, it's the way things are. (laughs) But the major media elites, they are not concerned about destruction of multitudes of Christians. But Muslims, oh, my. Again, this is not to say that Some, many, perhaps many Muslims in this region in communist China, it's not to say they may not be suffering. There clearly are reports of such suffering. And the subterfuge of the communist Chinese regime claiming that the detention facilities that they have (laughs) created, these holding tanks for people, that they are intended to serve vocational purposes, even though they are imprisoning doctors, teachers, and so on and so forth, and torturing them in some cases. So, But communist China... It will speak up for itself. It's not going to take this lying down. Any sanctions from the United States of America or any other parts of the world. No. Well, President Trump is not happy. But before I get into that as far as why he's not happy, because after all, We want our president to be happy, don't we? Let me digress and talk about a man. A man for the ages, a visionary man, a man with great ambitions. Uh, One might say dreams of grandeur, grandiose ambitions. And this man took this one area that used to belong to his nation, 
took it militarily, put it under military control and command. Whereas here in the United States military, they say command and control. And then he annexed a neighbor state, a neighbor nation. Then he instigated military action, paramilitary action, terrorism against another neighboring nation. And he massed his troops along the border and threatened invasion, but out of the other side of his mouth, he continued to claim that he's a man of peace. He was elected as being a man of peace. At times, man of the year. And with various cronies recommending him for Nobel Prize. A man for the ages, a man for all seasons. And he took the measure of all of the most preeminent leaders of the nations, of the major nations in the world. The free nations. And he reached the conclusion that they were a bunch of weaklings. They were self-serving politicians. They didn't have the backbone, what is referred to as backbone. They didn't have the character. They didn't have the moral force. They didn't have the courage to oppose him as they had failed to oppose him when he took this one area, put it under military control and command, and when he annexed this neighboring nation, and when he instigated violence to try to bring down a neighboring nation, And when he massed his forces and his weapons systems along the border and threatened invasion. And he saw no response from them, from these other nations, these mighty nations, these neighboring nations. No response. Mute reply. And he was further emboldened. So, summer of 1938, the annexation of Austria, Österreich, by Adolf Hitler's Third Reich. Summer of 1938, yes, and then just such a short 
while later. These actions by this person going back all this time, this person, this monster. But as it is said, as it has been said many times, so many times, if we fail to learn the lessons of history and or we fail to remember history, we are doomed to repeat That history. So, here in the summer of 1938, five months less than half a year after the annexation of Austria, Hitler massed his troops and his weapons systems along the border of Czechoslovakia in preparation for massive invasion. In September, he continued to threaten even while he kept claiming that he was being forced into war. That the Czechoslovakians were forcing him to invade. And that he needed to do so in order to protect oppressed German peoples within Czechoslovakia, specifically and particularly in the region known as Sudetenland. September 17th, that fantastic statesman, Neville Chamberlain, arrives in Germany to placate Adolf Hitler. Well, Adolf and his staff immediately took the measure of the man and saw Chamberlain for a weakling and a fool whom they could actually use. Not only they could overpower Britain under his leadership, but they could use him. So they send him back to do their bidding. Hitler makes these demands of Chamberlain. Chamberlain goes back to England to do the bidding of Hitler, albeit intending, of course, to stave off war, to prevent violence, to prevent loss of life, to maintain peace in the world. So he heads back to Britain as Adolf Hitler's lapdog to do his bidding for him. Then five days later, he returns to Germany, to the Rhine, and 
He has great good news for Hitler. He, Neville Chamberlain, British Prime Minister, has persuaded his counterparts in the French and Czechoslovakian governments to accept Hitler's demands that Sudetenland have a vote, have an election on whether to become part of Germany. Even though the outcome is a foregone conclusion because the population is overwhelmingly German and pro-Nazi. Interestingly enough, Hitler having gotten Chamberlain to do this, Hitler pushes for greater advantage. And he theatrically feigns anger, bangs on the table, knocks his chair over, yells, screams, beats on the table, declares that the rules have changed, that that deal is no longer enough. He has no interest in a vote. He claims that the situation in Sudetenland has deteriorated horribly, that hundreds of Germans are being murdered in Sudetenland daily, hundreds daily, that it is a crisis of such magnitude that he will invade Czechoslovakia unless the Czechoslovakian government relinquishes, surrenders Sudetenland immediately unconditionally to him. Well, Chamberlain, being the great visionary, courageous leader that he is, and a man of just great discernment and wisdom and understanding, he goes back to Britain. He addresses the British Parliament's House of Commons. He states that this threatened invasion of the Sudetenland and all of Czechoslovakia is merely, quote, a quarrel in a faraway country between people of whom we know nothing, end quote. That was on September 24th. On September 29th, five days later, in Munich, there is a gathering. Hitler and his staff along with Benito Mussolini of fascist Italy and the leaders of Britain and France. They meet at the enormous, imposing Nazi headquarters to resolve the Sudetenland crisis which Hitler has created. He gets all of these leaders to come to him and to make concessions to him to resolve this terrible crisis which he and the Nazis have created. 
He professes he doesn't want war, but that he is being pushed into it, forced into it by the checks, the terrible checks. Chamberlain does not refute this. Chamberlain offers yet another deal to Hitler, a further concession. They, these powers, will permit Hitler to take Sudetenland from Czechoslovakia if he will agree to promise that this will be the end of his territorial expansions. What about that? You know, surrender territory in exchange for a promise of peace, a promise of peace from vicious, murderous, terrorist foes. This is what Israel has been doing for decades. But yes, they will surrender Sudetenland to Hitler and his regime if this will be the end of his territorial expansions and he will sign on a piece of paper to that effect. He immediately seizes on it. The Munich Agreement is signed. Oh, it's a great stroke for world peace. Chamberlain goes back to Britain and waves the paper and says that he has averted war. He has kept peace. This again was September 29th, 1938. March 15th of 1939, six months after the signing, Hitler tears it up. German troops march straight through Sudetenland and occupy all of Czechoslovakia. And what is the response from Britain and France who are honor-bound to respond, who have signed on the dotted line on the treaties to protect the signatories, including Czechoslovakia, in case of aggression, and they do nothing. Britain and France, world superpowers at that time, their national honor was non-existent. Their word was worthless. And then, September 1st, 1939, the Blitzkrieg, the mass bombings, the murderous invasion of Poland, and Hitler and Goebbels and their propaganda machine claim that this was forced upon Nazi Germany by the Poles who committed grievous Wrongs to the German people in Poland. All fiction, all a sham, as it was in Sudetenland. But of course, it will never be again. It will never happen again. Now, the government in Russia, the current government in Russia, 
It is not typically described as being a fascist regime, certainly is not communist. It's not viewed as being socialist, whether of a communist or a fascist strain, but it is utterly totalitarian and a thugocracy, a vicious, ruthless gang regime with its all-powerful dictator, president, ostensibly for life, de facto for life, Vladimir Putin, a man of great ambitions, a man with dreams of grandeur, personal grandeur, a mighty macho man, even though some have stated that uh, he's not so macho after all, And they've paid for such statements with their lives via assassination in free nations committed by Vladimir Putin's FSB KGB. But President Trump is not happy. President Trump is not happy because of the current situation between Russia and Ukraine. Hmm. Well, Russian so-called border guards, you know, guarding a border seized from Ukraine. Crimea, which was annexed, and again, by vote, by a sham election referendum, a sham, illegal, illegitimate election like Hitler intended or tried to uh, get to have take place in Sudetenland, but then he pushed, he pressed his advantage to heck with an election. You just surrender it outright. Well, Vladimir Putin instead used a rigged election referendum to seize Crimea in 2014. And he had a bridge built across the Strait of Kerch, the Kerch Strait, which is at the mouth of the Black Sea. It's the only outlet for Ukrainian shipping, for Ukrainian ships and vessels the only outlet to the Black Sea. So they built this bridge to further cement 
this idea that Russia owns the strait and has right to control everything that moves through it. But these Russian border guards, Russian Navy, Russian Coast Guard, they fired upon three Ukrainian ships. They rammed a Ukrainian ship. They captured 24 men, imprisoned them under the loving care of the FSB, former KGB, interrogated them, threatened them, elicited forced confessions, scripted confessions with the scripts shown on teleprompters to them stating that they were in the wrong and that Ukraine was trying to provoke a response from Russia, that Ukraine was the aggressor. Well, our president, he's not happy, but he's waiting for a full report, waiting for a full report before he takes any action. Does that Ring any bells? Does that remind you of a certain situation in Turkey, the Saudi consulate? (laughs) We do not like what's happening either way. Quote and end quote. Making it seem as if Ukraine is also to blame, is also in the wrong, which it is not. United States Ambassador to the United Nations, our very own Nikki Haley from South Carolina. She said the following, quote, this outrageous violation of sovereign Ukrainian territory marks yet another reckless Russian escalation. Yes, true. But what is the end to be? Well, President Trump, President Putin, they were supposedly going to meet in Paris this month, uh, but now they are currently scheduled to meet at the G20 summit in Buenos Aires, Argentina. But... Now the president is saying, maybe I won't have the meeting. So, what's it all about? The Ukrainian government, the Ukrainian parliament signed on with Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko to impose martial law for one month in those parts of Ukraine 
that are the most immediately vulnerable, endangered by looming military invasion from Russia. And of course, the Kremlin, KGB headquarters, FSB if you prefer, the headquarters, also Vladimir Putin, headquarters there when he was in charge of the KGB and headquarters for the president. The Kremlin officially stated that this move by Ukraine, this defensive move by Ukraine, this preventive measure that they've taken, that it will trigger hostilities with those in these other parts of Ukraine where the pro-Russia, pro-Moscow rebels, rebel forces are. Rebel forces that are employed, if you will, by the Kremlin, that are armed and trained by them. President Poroshenko, he said that there was extremely serious threat of a land invasion. He said the following, quote, I have a document of intelligence in my hands. Here on several pages is a detailed description of all the forces of the enemy located at a distance of literally several dozens of kilometers from our border, ready at any moment for an immediate invasion of Ukraine. End quote. Well, again, President Trump says he's not happy about the situation. Meanwhile, our former CIA director, Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State now, he has urged, personally urged that both Ukraine and Russia show restraint. Fascinating, really, since all of this ginned-up crisis was due to aggression from Vladimir Putin's Russian regime. Using territory it seized from Ukraine as its staging ground. Of course, again, Putin's regime claims it is not responsible for the crisis. But again, back to Ukraine President Poroshenko. Quote, Russia has been waging a hybrid war against our country for a fifth year. But with an attack on Ukrainian military boats, it moved to a new stage of aggression, end quote. 
Yes, it's in its fifth year of engaging in this hybrid war against Ukraine. Russia is. Putin's regime is. Which continues to support these pro-Russian rebel groups in easternmost Ukraine, even as Hitler's Nazi regime did with the pro-Nazi Germans in Sudetenland. Even as these rebels have shot down commercial airliners with rockets, courtesy of Putin's regime. Well, never fear. The great leaders of the world, the great leaders of the great free nations are thinking about getting together to resolve the situation. Yes. These same nations which negotiated a 2015 accord there between Ukraine and Russia and the pro-Russian rebels... Yes. Well, anyway, it's it's all good, right? It's all good. No need to fear. President Petro Poroshenko, he warned that Ukraine is in danger of full-scale war from Russia. And that Ukraine's armed forces, its military, have been put in a state of full combat readiness. And that this martial law was put in place in 10 regions, which adjoin Russia's borders or areas controlled by the Moscow-backed, Moscow-supported Moscow-led, Moscow-instructed separatists. In addition to along the coast of the Sea of Azov and the Black Sea. I remember when a previous Ukraine president was attacked by assassination via poison, but miraculously survived, was attacked twice. With the FSB's signature poisons. As far as these confessions of this provocation being instigated by Ukraine, these confessions from these three seamen. Interestingly enough, they were undeniably scripted. Quote, We were warned by the border service of the Russian Federation that we were violating Russian law. 
They had repeatedly asked us to leave the territorial waters of the Russian Federation. End quote. Really? The territorial waters of the Russian Federation, the territorial waters that is a sea, the Sea of Azov, on which Ukraine, even without Crimea, has an enormous border, but Russia claims it has ownership. Sole ownership and control. Well, as I've said before, and will go on saying, the evil operate in predictable ways. They call the good evil and the evil good. They lie habitually. In negotiations, they make outrageous demands. And if they are not met, if they are not acquiesced to, they will back up a fraction, a millimeter, and call that a concession on their part. Everything they do is dirty, vicious, dishonest, dishonorable. Fascinatingly enough, Russian president for life, Vladimir Putin, is claiming that Ukraine, and particularly Ukraine's president, are engaged in committing dirty games against Russia. He said, quote, the incident in the Black Sea happened. It is a border incident. No more. No more than that. Just that. End quote. Meanwhile, Vladimir Putin, man of peace, his Kremlin headquarters has officially pledged to deploy S-400 surface-to-air missile systems throughout the Crimean Peninsula, and very soon. And no, not for defense. This is for attack. This is for invasion. But Putin goes on replaying the official Kremlin story. Interestingly enough, a video of these coerced, forced confessions, it showed something very interesting which contradicted dear Vladimir Putin's version of what took place. It shows a Russian commander shouting, quote, slam him from the right as the Russian vessel strikes the Ukrainian ship. Poroshenko stated, I don't want anyone to think this is fun and games. Ukraine is under threat of full-scale war with Russia. 
Russia is building up its military presence along the Ukraine-Russian border. The number of tanks, Russian tanks, has tripled. Yes. But it's all good. So what is the rest of the story? What is it really? It's just this. It's that Vladimir Putin has taken the measure of the world's leaders, the leaders of the free nations, the powerful nations of NATO and the United States of America. He's taken the measure of those nations, and more importantly, he's taken the measure of their leaders. And he sees no leaders of moral integrity, moral courage, moral force. And as Hitler rolled into Rhineland, annexed Austria, seized Sudetenland, and then seized all of Czechoslovakia, and then launched his attack, his invasion of Poland, so too Putin will take as much as he can And if and or when he is actually opposed by major powers, belatedly, as Hitler was by Britain and France after the invasion of Poland, he will deal with them then. So as Hitler increased his borders, increased his reach, increased his strategic strongholds, so too Vladimir Putin is doing here. Yes, he intends absolutely to crush Ukraine. The neighboring nations are far less strong than Ukraine. Moldova, Georgia, Belarus, Latvia, Lithuania, so forth. The leaders of the free world will not oppose him. Why? They're scared to death of nuclear war, among other things. And Russia is superior to the United States of America now in terms of nuclear weapons, courtesy of Barack Hussein Obama and previous presidents, but very, very decidedly Barack Hussein Obama. Putin knows he can push and push and push his advantage, press his advantage, and he will not be opposed. That if the United States of America does not resist him, does not oppose him, none of the others will. He knows that. So he continues. 
Now, winter is not normally viewed as a very good time for war, as you see with Adolf Hitler, but it has been good for Russia. Russia did very well. The Soviet Union did very well during the bitter winter. And it has to do with where war is engaged in and what weapon systems are used. Well, Vladimir Putin has got his plans and his purposes. And he's been building and building and waiting for a ripe time to attack Ukraine. It's not a question of whether he will, regardless what the experts say. It's not a question of whether he will. It's only a question of when he will. That's all. We will see what will be, won't we? I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.